Bishop Earl and, our, and I finish our two-part series comparing the biblical Jesus with Mormonism's Jesus next on Polygamy, What Love Is This? Hi, and welcome to this audio edition of Polygamy, What Love Is This? with host Doris Hansen. On this program, we discuss polygamy and Mormon fundamentalism from a biblical Christian perspective. We talk about the history of polygamy, its modern-day fruit, share stories from people who have escaped polygamy, and talk about current events relating to polygamy. You can learn more about the video edition of this program at whatloveisthis.tv. And now, here's Doris. This is the second part of a two-part series discussing the biblical Jesus compared with Mormonism's Jesus. And of course, if you watch the first part, you'll notice that there's a huge difference between the two. And we have more for you this time. There are a few people who argue that there's any difference, but actually no argument can change the facts. And then, of course, Gordon Hinckley admitted that their Jesus is not the traditional Jesus. And many LDS scrambled to explain what Hinckley really meant. And polygamists, like I said, (laughs) didn't really care what he said or meant. Advertisements for their Book of Mormon claim that it's another testimony of Jesus, but actually it's a testimony of another Jesus. We made several comparisons in part one, and we're going to continue with more comparisons now. Our next one is, was Jesus' sacrifice enough? Now, according to Mormonism and polygamous, his sacrifice was not full payment for all sins, nor is it the prepaid ticket to heaven. We yeah, quote. Two quotes from Brigham Young. Interesting. There are sins that men commit for which they cannot receive forgiveness in this world or in that which is to come. And it is true that the blood of the Son of God was shed for sins through the fall and those committed by men. Yet men can commit sins which it can never remit. Now, that's a different Jesus than the one who saved me. According to the Bible, all our sins were counted to Jesus and paid for by him on the cross and only on the cross. Yeah, we have a couple of scriptures. Hebrews 8, 12, For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. And 1 John 1, 7, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. There's that word all again. (laughs) And those who add celestial marriage or any works or sacrifice to his sacrifice in order to earn God's grace will not receive his forgiveness or his grace. Jesus paid it all. Eternal life, eternal exaltation, or whatever word you want to call it, is a gift of God through Jesus Christ received because of its great his grace and through our faith in his blood shed on the cross. That's it, no more. <laughs> But the Mormon Jesus did not pay 100% of the cost of our eternal life. To earn eternal life or exaltation, as they say, they must work, obey laws and ordinances and commandments, be married in their temple, and so many other things. Doctrine and Covenants 25, an official book, says this, and I quote, Keep my commandments continually, and that's an impossibility, right there. And a crown of righteousness thou shalt receive. And except you do this where I am, you cannot come. And verily, verily, I say unto you that this is my voice unto all. Amen. And true to the faith, a gospel reference says, To be exalted in the highest degree and continue eternally in family relationships 
we must enter into the new and everlasting covenant of marriage and be true to that covenant. In other words, temple marriage is a requirement for obtaining the highest degree of celestial glory. That's going to be very important a little bit later in yes, this discussion. So obedience to laws and marriage is greater than grace. Jesus is the Savior, not marriage. His sacrifice for us was 100% sufficient so that the believer is not required or allowed to earn their eternal life. We go to Romans. Yeah, one of my favorite scriptures, Romans 4, 4 and 5. Now when a man works, his wages are not credited to him as a gift, but as an obligation. However, to the man who does not work, but trusts God, who justifies the wicked, his faith is credited as righteousness. And there you go. Faith is credited as righteousness, and grace and works will never mix. We go to Romans chapter 11, where it says this in verse 5, So too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. And if by grace, then it is no longer by works. If it were, grace would no longer be grace. Makes sense. So it's one or the other, it you is. know, it can't be both. And if you try to do it by works, you'll fail because nobody can do it 100% by yeah. works. And so you better have grace. <laughs> <laughs> the biblical Jesus accomplished salvation by grace alone. The Mormon Jesus did not. And that is a big deal. By the way, let's look at exaltation. Yes. I, I, I hear that word so much, and it's the goal of every Mormon and every polygamist, and it requires certain personal works and rituals because in order to be exalted, the Mormon Jesus just isn't enough. No, Spencer W. Kimball said that this, however good a person's works, he could not be saved had Jesus not died for his and everyone else's sins. And however powerful the saving grace of Christ it brings exaltation to no man who does not comply with the works of the gospel. Okay, so salvation and exaltation is two different things here, right? And that, that's in their doctrine. But the biblical Jesus Christ being perfectly righteous by nature credits sinners with the gift of His righteousness for all who will believe and trust Him alone. From Romans chapter 10, 3 and 4. Since they do not know the righteousness that comes from God and sought to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Christ is the end of the law, so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. And that just clears it yeah, right it all up. It's a gift, it and we don't earn it, and we can't earn it. Christ did it all. All in Mormonism strive for exaltation. That's the highest level of their highest heaven. But it doesn't exist, but they believe it does. But what does Jesus say about this exaltation idea? Yeah, this is a great parable and from Luke 18. And he spake this parable unto certain who, which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee and the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the publican, standing afar off, would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. So according to the biblical Jesus, 
A person cannot be exalted by their own striving for righteousness. Nothing that they can do will help themselves be exalted. Instead, those who try will be abased. That's what Jesus said. No obedience to laws, ordinances, rituals, marriage requirements affects the gift of eternal life that God gives only to those who will trust only in Him. Another comparison is that the Jesus of Mormonism atoned for sin in the Garden of Gethsemane and then on the cross. Yeah, from the Encyclopedia of Mormonism, in Gethsemane, Christ took upon himself the burden of the sins of the world and suffered for them in a way that is incomprehensible to mortals. Now, that's from the Encyclopedia, so that's... that's... And Joseph Winther says this, in the ensign, as terrible as Christ's suffering on the cross was, perhaps it was not as great as his suffering in Gethsemane. When he sweat drops of blood as he bore the weight of all the sins of mankind, the great agony of the atonement took place. And that's blasphemy. Yeah, it totally, is. completely. Because, I, yeah, well. I didn't understand that <laughs> right. then, but I do now. And the Bible never says he sweat great <laughs> drops of blood. It says he sweat like. As it were. As it were, yeah. right. The assumed atonement is completely void of any power of salvation if it was in the garden. It just absolutely is neutralized. The Jesus of the Bible paid for our sins by his death on the cross and only on the cross. Yeah, and you know, I didn't understand this about the symbolism of shed blood too, you know. That's yeah. Anyway, 1 Corinthians 1.18. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. The cross is foolishness to those who believe that the atonement took place in the garden. Yeah, that's actually both places it in that. And then we have a beautiful one from Philippians. It says, For as I have often told you before and now say again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. And again, you <laughs> are an enemy of the cross if you believe anything but the cross as, as where Jesus paid for our sins. And from Colossians 1, 19 and 20, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Shed on the cross. It's clear that the cross was where it took place, not the garden. It's 100% the cross and 0% anywhere else. Now next, the Mormon Jesus <laughs> destroyed whole cities killing innocent women and children is written in the Book of Mormon, 3rd Nephi, chapters 8 and 9. Uh, there is some description of what he did. Yeah, and this is just a small part just of Just a little there. bit of it. <laughs> behold, that great city Zarahemla have I burned with fire and the inhabitants thereof. And behold, that great city Moroni have I caused to be sunk in the depths of the sea and the inhabitants thereof to be drowned. Now that's Jesus doing that. <laughs> and both both of these chapters are filled with disasters that Jesus supposedly... After he sacrificed <laughs> on the cross, <laughs> yeah. he does this yeah. to these people. Yeah. yeah. Well, the biblical Jesus did not come in anger and destruction. He came in meekness, preaching truth and grace, mercy and salvation. First of all, John 12, 47, Jesus said this, quote, as for the person who hears my word but does not keep them, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world but to save it. Yeah, Luke 9, 56, for the Son of Man is not come to destroy men's lives but to save them. And from John 3, 17, 
For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So why is he just doing all this destruction in the Book of Mormon? It's a very good question. Yeah. Jesus will come the second time for judgment. The first time he came for salvation. Next, the Jesus of Mormonism was married had a secret family and lived polygamy. Now, early Mormonism taught that while on earth, Jesus was married to at least three women. Orson Hyde, one of the original 12 apostles of the Mormon church, refers to the Gospel of John when he said this. Jesus was the bridegroom at the marriage of Cana of Galilee, and he told them what to do. Now, there was actually a marriage, and if Jesus was not the bridegroom on that occasion, please tell us who was. If any man can show this and prove that it was not the Savior of the world, then I will acknowledge that I'm in error. We say it was Jesus Christ who was married, to be brought into the relation whereby he could see his seed before he was crucified. Now, I know polygamists take this to heart, lock, they stock, love, and barrel. They must love that. Yeah. They yeah, they believe every word of it. But the LDS, although they distance themselves from teaching of the polygamy part of it, it remains part of their historical record. They do not remove it. They do not renounce it from their doctrinal resources. Many individual Mormons that I have talked with do believe that Jesus was married, and some wonder if maybe he was a polygamist. Coincidentally, I received an email from a friend as I was polishing off this particular discussion, and he has a relative who left the Mormon polygamy group oh, over 50 years ago. He's a real TBM right now. But this is part of what he said he said. Just wanted to share the latest LDS belief about our Lord and Savior. Very, very sad. What the LDS Church is saying today about Jesus, that Jesus was actually married to Mary Magdalene. He also said Jesus had a son with her. He would not say where he found information on Mary Magdalene having a baby boy, only that he found this out in his research. Jesus treated Mary Magdalene the same as his 12 disciples. Anyway, I guess I'm venting a little. The LDS Church keeps changing their ideas and beliefs about Jesus, and this really upsets me. <laughs> it should upset anybody who's, who's anxious for the truth. This person had been having lunch with one of the very top yeah. of the LDS leaders, and we can't use names. But this person told me he had a one-on-one -on -one talk with him and that this is what he said the official belief of the Mormon church is that Jesus was married. And then, of course, according to Mormon doctrine, Jesus had to have been married because Mormon temple marriage is required for exaltation <laughs> to godhood. Now, let's look at the wedding in Cana of Galilee that Orson Hyde referred to and see if it teaches that Jesus was the groom. We read the first part of the passage from the Bible. John chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Okay, so we'll look at this, and then we're going to look at some more verses in this passage. The wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Right. Now, the Jews had a temple, but by command of God, there was only to be one temple, and it was to be built in only one place, Jerusalem. So if this is Jesus' wedding, why isn't he getting married in the temple at Jerusalem instead of Cana in Galilee? And why was Jesus invited to his own wedding? 
and, and his mother and his disciples, they were all invited to attend this wedding. That's odd if he, he was the groom. And when Mary informs Jesus that the wine is gone, she says, they have no more wine. She didn't say, we're out of wine. Good point. (laughs) And for these reasons and many more, we know that the wedding in Cana of Galilee was not a marriage of Jesus Christ. But let's look at the rest of the passage. Yeah. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, Everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine, after the guests have had too much to drink, but you have saved the best till now. This, the first of his miraculous signs, Jesus performed at Cana in Galilee, and thus revealed his glory, and his disciples put their faith in him. And after this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother and brothers and his disciples. Okay, the master of the wedding party was not Jesus, but it was someone else, because he congratulated the groom, not Jesus, and for such good wine that they had, and neither one of them knew where that (laughs) wine came from. And, and I just have a little question here. Why don't today's Mormon and polygamous wedding ceremonies include good wine like Jesus <laughs> provided for this wedding? And, <laughs> and then we have to notice in verse 12 that Jesus, his mother and brothers and disciples, took off to Capernaum after the wedding. Well, if Jesus was married, what happened to his bride? Where's the honeymoon? Did, huh? Yeah, where's that? Did he abandon her? <laughs> no, Jesus was not married, and this was not his wedding. The Jesus of the Bible came to set humans free from sin and death. He did not come to get married, have a family, or live polygamy. Jesus was a guest at the wedding of Cana, and he couldn't have been a polygamist anyway because God forbade Israel's kings from taking multiple wives. Yeah, in Deuteronomy 17, 17, it says, He must not take many wives or his heart will be led astray. Now, in the Old Testament, Jehovah is Jesus, right? Right commanded and Jehovah commanded Israel's kings not to take plural wives. Jesus was king of the Jews and also king of kings. He was totally sinless. We talked about that already. He never broke any of the laws of God, and that includes Deuteronomy 17, 17. Another point is that just before Jesus died on the cross, he made arrangements for his mother to be looked after by John. He never made arrangements for a wife or wives to be looked after. Good point. And then there was a Mormon polygamist who said Jesus was crucified because he was a polygamist. (laughs) Yeah, Jedediah Grant said, The grand reason of the burst of public sentiment and anathemas upon Christ and his disciples causing his crucifixion was evidently based upon polygamy, according to the testimony of the philosophers who rose in that age. A belief in the doctrine of a plurality of wives caused the persecution of Jesus and his followers. We might almost think they were Mormons. And I have to gasp at that. (laughs) 
proud, bold <laughs> statement there. Yeah. yeah. Brigham Young also taught that Jesus and his apostles were polygamous, but for Grant to accuse them of being Mormon is really beyond the realm of reasoning. Uh, Jesus did not live polygamy openly or secretly. If he had done it openly, there certainly would be a record of it. And there is absolutely none. And if it was secretly, then Jesus is a liar and we can't trust him in anything. Yeah. We it says have this, this in quote. John 18, 20. <laughs> I have spoken openly to the world, Jesus replied. I always taught in synagogues or at the temple where all the Jews come together. I said nothing in secret. He did not teach or live polygamy in secret. No. And uh, so you either have to believe him or not. And if you don't, why then just make your own way because Jesus can't be your savior if you don't believe him. We could make many more comparisons from these, but I think that this is enough. So, so many good ones. Mm -hmm. And I think our comparisons make it clear that the Jesus of Mormonism and polygamist is not the Jesus the Bible tells us about. They don't believe that Jesus was eternally God, which is foundational for the real Jesus. They say he was procreated by an immortal father and a human mother, that he was the first spirit child of the father, um, that he is a spirit brother of Lucifer. For these reasons and all the others that we've given and other, re other reasons we haven't talked about, we cannot say that the Mormon teachings on Jesus are consistent with the Bible. There cannot be so many basic and fundamental differences and still honestly claim they are the same Jesus. Now, I'd like to make mention here that they keep saying they're Christian because they have the name of Jesus Christ on all and, of their buildings and, the and church, the church and sure. so on. But um, they can use the name, but that doesn't mean it's the same person. Right. It's more and, of a historical Jesus, too, I think, that they seem to believe in. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, but my question is, if they've got the name Jesus Christ in their church and on their buildings, why aren't they following what the Bible says about Jesus? Yeah. Why would it be someone else? Why, why do they have him being someone else or doing things that the Bible doesn't teach or even the Bible contradicts? It's another gospel, really, mm -hmm. another gospel of Jesus Christ. Yeah, and there can't be so many fundamental differences and still honestly claim they're the same Jesus. That's right. You can't do it. And actually, if we were to put the details of the Mormon Jesus on a resume and the biblical Jesus on a different resume, as if both of them were maybe applying for, this, for the job as Savior, <laughs> the resumes would reflect two completely different persons. Perhaps they both experienced some of the same things, but their origins, their characters, their teachings, their purpose, how they fulfilled their purpose are all different. The two resumes would reflect two altogether different persons. God warned about accepting a different Jesus because he knew that different Jesuses would be taught. Today it would be called identity theft. Same name, similar credentials, different person. Finally, those who continue to say it's the same Jesus, we have a passage to clear it up. <laughs> From 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 14 through 17. But their minds were made dull, for to this day the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed, because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Love these verses. Yeah. Absolutely. 
Only when someone turns to the biblical Jesus will the veil be removed from their minds and hearts so that they can clearly see the real Jesus and the freedom that they have in him. Freedom from all those works, all those laws and commandments, because Christ is the end of the law for those who believe. Mormonisms and, and polygamists do not have the real Jesus because the veil of blindness remains and they refuse to listen to the truth and they cannot see the real glory of the biblical Jesus Christ who is God, our Savior. Yeah, and I agree with that. I had that veil over my eyes all those years and mm-hmm. didn't appreciate who he was or what he did for me. Uh, and, and didn't until, fully until the veil was lifted, yeah, and right. I'm not sure God did that. Of course, He does it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's yeah. miraculous. When someone turns to the real Jesus, then the veil is lifted, yeah. and, and that's I, what happens. And I think the words of the Bible probably did more to help that understanding and to to realize who this Jesus was. I didn't actually leave the Mormon Church because of. Mm-hmm. Uh, that I didn't feel like I understood Jesus. I felt like I was okay with him when I left the Mormon church. Mm-hmm. It was kind of the the bad news, you know, of mm-hmm. Mormonism. But now I've come to realize who he is and what he did for me. Yeah. yeah. I know when I first began studying and found discovered who Jesus really was, um, and that was in my own private Bible study that I was that yeah. brought me to saving faith, I was shocked. I was so shocked. It just my world, my whole world just shook because I had always thought in my life Jesus and I were brothers, you know, brother and sister and all that nonsense. Even though I had left the polygamy group and didn't believe in it, the teaching was still there. But yeah. when I found out he was God and, and I got into John and he's God and I got into Galatians and, and law and works don't save us and all that, I was just, I wanted my family to know <laughs> this so much. I just, you know, and, yeah. and I tried to, to talk to him and I kind of went at it like a bull in a china closet. And, Which happens. You know, but, and, but despite what the Mormon prophets and the apologists have charged that Christians and their creeds believe in the unbiblical Jesus, it's Mormonism that has contrived a different Jesus, not Christianity. All of the comparisons and quotes that we used to to compare the two Jesuses, all of the ones that that describe the Christian Jesus came right straight from the Bible. Yeah. And and so they can't say that they believe in the biblical Jesus. No, no, it's very clear that they they've added to what the Bible says, and mm-hmm. they've added another gospel, and it's um, it's yeah. not biblical. So if we did to tell the truth. And we ask the questions, will the real Jesus Christ please stand up? Clearly, the Mormon Jesus could not stand up. No, it would have to be the biblical Jesus, yeah. <laughs> Only the, and, and of course, and when I say that, I'm talking about the, the um, polygamy Jesus too, because yeah, it's, the same, sure. it's the same teachings that yeah. they have on that, except for they're more adamant that he's a polygamist. And it's funny that they miss it on so many different levels as we've covered. The cross, Gethsemane, being our elder brother, uh, grace, and works. I mm-hmm. mean, it's just on so many levels. It, 
it's just shocking that we can ignore all that yeah. as, as Mormons and polygamists. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then say, well, that's your interpretation, yeah, and that's exactly. a, a cop-out. Well, thanks again, Earl. I you really bet. appreciate your help enjoyable. in all of this. Yeah, you know, we realize in doing this that we're not going to change any minds of our viewers to who, who cling to the polygamy or the LDS doctrine, but we aren't here to change your mind. We merely want you to use your minds and thoroughly research what you've been taught because it's yours eternity. Jesus told us to love God with all our minds, which includes reasoning through his word and comparing it literally with Mormonism's ideas. Our minds can be deceived. Jesus knew that and several times warned us to watch out that we be not deceived. The Mormons are deceived, so are the polygamists. We aren't trying to change minds to think our way, but we do want you to motivate you to test everything God said, toss out the deceit, and embrace the truth. And Jesus is the truth and must be worshiped in truth. Thank you for watching. This has been the audio podcast edition of Polygamy, What Love Is This? This program is a production of A Shield and Refuge Ministry and Main Street Church of Brigham City. You can view current and past video episodes as well as download audio episodes of this program at whatloveisthis.tv. If you or someone you know is in need of assistance in leaving a polygamous situation, please contact us. We are here to help. All of our contact information can be found at shieldandrefuge.org or call us at 877-425-9993. If you have any questions or comments about this or any of our other programs, we'd love to hear from you. Write us at email at whatloveisthis.tv. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us again.